0: This is Sound and Vision from KEXP in Seattle. I'm Emily Fox. So KEXP did a live broadcast from Iceland last week. It happened during the Iceland Airwaves Music Festival. So this week on the podcast, we're going to explore Iceland's music scene. We'll start off with a look at Iceland's DIY or do-it-yourself music scene through the lens of a venue called R6013. KEXP's digital content manager Dusty Henry wrote an article about this venue and scene at kexp.org over the summer, he followed last year's KEXP Iceland broadcast. So here's the conversation I had with Dusty. I started off by asking him how to describe R6013.
1: Immediately, it's just this this really inviting, warm community. There's uh, it's very youth centric, like uh, not necessarily like little kids, but there were little kids at the show that I went to. In the article, one of the um, founders of the venue mentions that uh, no one in these collectives is, was born before the year 2000, and so it's really this new generation of musicians coming up, crafting the scene as they would like to see it and getting the representation they would like to see. It's very tight-knit. Um, as I quickly found out, most people in Iceland who are in bands are in lots of bands, many bands. Um, Iger who runs uh, R6013 and also the label Why Not. I saw him in so many bands that that weekend and unexpectedly.
0: So mostly like this DIY scene is like people starting collectives, they're also starting their own record labels, they're kind of rather than having a promoter, a publicist, uh you know, tour manager, they're just kind of doing it all and then helping each other out through these collectives?
1: Totally. Yeah, exactly. And and it's also partially inspired by a little bit of Iceland's history with DIY. Um Bad Taste, which is a collective that was part of the Sugar Cubes and Bjork, um, helped really kick that off. They were a big inspiration for a lot of these current collectives. And seeing this model of, if you're not getting the labels coming to you, or you're not getting the support, you can support each other, and just making manifesting your own your own vision for the art scene. And so there's lots of collectives, uh, record labels, all just pressing records themselves or releasing it for free online. That's the big. A big thing, especially with the collective post reefing, all of their music is available for free. Yeah, and this the artists just c- communal communal space together.
0: And so, in this article that you wrote, you kind of looked at—is it just one collective you were kind of focusing in on?
1: Uh, we looked at um, two collectives.
0: And, and what did you? What was your biggest takeaway from these two collectives?
1: I think the biggest takeaway was just the emphasis. It seems so obvious, but the emphasis on community. Um, a couple of like, the big points we touched on were this idea of breaking down the barrier between artist and audience. is something both Why Not Records and post were really keen on. Um, at the venue R6013, they don't have an elevated stage. I mean, it's, based, it's literally this guy's basement that he <laughs> converted into a space. It's maybe like 20 feet long. Um, but the, the, the band and the audience are not just on the same level the audience and the band are often mixed together so when we saw i went to a show and saw this band laura secord they were they said no 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 get closer and you know you get to the edge of where the band is and you're like okay i'm pretty close like no 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 stand with us and so you're standing next to the bass player you're standing next to the drummer everyone's just totally mixed you can't even tell who's really playing the music you're all just in it together and it's this idea that the artists aren't on a higher level than the oh, audience. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, it was very sweet. And it was one of the most, like, kind of moving concert experiences I've had. You've never—you don't really get that. And then also just the emphasis on empowering youth to have access to music. I mean, Reykjavik's become a huge music city, but there's also um, a lot of venues. They used to have a lot more all-ages venues, but those are slowly or rapidly starting to disappear. Most venues are bars or serve alcohol and— If you're under 20, which is the drinking age there, you can play, but you can't attend. And it 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 started to kind of stifle younger people getting into music, which is a lot of why these collectives started and why they're so youth-centric is because they they wanted a space and they want to help the next generation as well. Um, Like I said, Laura Secord, she brought her, her two little kids who were, Adorable with the big uh, earmuffs on for ear protection. Yeah. And, but like the, they all talked about when we were kids, you know, we would do stuff like that. And that inspired us. So they're looking forward to the next generation of Icelandic artists.
0: Well, let's talk about some of the music um, of some of these folks that are related to this article you wrote on KEXP.org about Iceland's DIY music scene. Let's talk about you know, maybe three artists um, that are somehow kind of linked to the story that you wrote.
1: Uh, yeah, so Baghdad Brothers was a band uh, that we actually had on our broadcast this year. Um, they are founded by Yarni Daniel. Um, and they Bjarne is one of the, the founders of Post-Riefing, um, which is one of the collectives, which stands for Post-Distribution. Um, they are a really fun band. They have a very captured track sort of vibe, peach, beach fossils and dive, really dreamy guitars. When they performed at, at the Kex Hostel for KXP, it was a really great moment just seeing all these local, uh, basically kids, like teenagers, singing along to everywhere, jumping up and down, and just, it's really fun, dreamy, all
0: Yeah, totally dreamy vibe so that is Baghdad Brothers yes. so let's talk about another musician that's kind of related to this um, DIY Iceland article
1: yeah um, so Stormy Daniels which is a, a fantastic name um, They're a this is one of the most recent releases on Why Not Records which is Iger who also runs that ve- music venue I mentioned um, he also plays drums in this band he like I said he plays drums in almost every band um, and Why Not Records is a lot more heavy focused um, heavy focused, like heavy rock. Like, oh yeah, uh, okay, yeah. His band, World Narcosis, um, it's really heavy metal, sort of hardcore vibe. So they they kind of captured that part of Iceland's music scene, um, which has lots of roots in metal and punk there as well. Um, but they're they're just like a fun, really like energetic, raw punk band. I think it kind of speaks for itself in a way.
0: And this is a band called Stormy Daniels. That was a band called Stormy Daniels, and I cannot pronounce the name of that song. Something that strikes me, I mean, not only I'm excited, yes, there's a female vocalist here, but um, how many of the bands that you saw when you were in Iceland actually spoke in their native language?
1: A lot of bands had songs both in English and Icelandic. Uh, When you look at show listings in in Reykjavik, a lot of the times the descriptions are in both.
0: All right, so let's talk about one last um, band that's kind of related to this Iceland DIY scene that you wrote about at KEXP.org.
1: Yeah, Laura Secord, who I mentioned earlier, that this is actually a clip from the show that I saw. Um this was just a really special moment to walk into. I had no idea what the band was like. I thought it was a single person because the name was Laura Secord. Very like slow core, dirgy rock, almost post rock, um, really like spacious.
2: I've been
0: That was a band called Laura Secord um, related to Iceland's DIY music scene. Um, KEXP's own Dusty Henry wrote an article about Iceland's DIY music scene this week um, on KEXP.org. So, Dusty, I mean, you were able to explore Iceland's DIY music scene, do-it-yourself music scene. Um, and you also know a bit about Seattle's DIY scene. How would you compare contrast the two scenes?
1: Yeah, I think between both the scenes, there's a, this definite aspect of community and thinking the same way of we have an idea, we're not going to get support, we're going to do it ourselves. Um, but the, one of the first things I asked some of the people in the venue when I went to the show was, do you have problems with the cops? And they just looked at me very funny and said, what do you What do you mean? Like, hmm. well, does the local law enforcement, are they cool with this? Do you have to, do you work out something with them? And they're like... I have no idea what you're talking about. It's like, not an
0: issue. It's not yeah. an issue.
1: Like sometimes we'll just tell the neighbors if we're going to have a show and that's it. And they're usually fine with it. So there's definitely the the infrastructure in the local government is much more inviting to it. Whereas in Seattle, to be a DIY space often means you're you're at risk. You could get shut down at any moment. You have to fly a little bit under the radar. Um, there's a few venues in town that won't list their address anywhere or Reject any press that they they may come their way, just out of self-preservation. So it's interesting because it still has a scrappy feel. It's in a basement, but it's not illegal. So it really changes that dynamic. But in terms of the community, I think it's really like Iceland has a really interesting model of how these different aspects of DOI are crossing over, which we see that sometimes here. But the record labels run out of the same venue. That is doing these house shows. That's also connected with these other collectives, and this this the community between the different collectives and record labels. It's all about working together. Um, That's what I when I kept saying, "Do it yourself." They kept uh, Bjarni would tell me, "No, it's do it together," um, which I thought was a really wonderful idea and something that they're definitely putting into practice.
0: Well, Dusty Henry, thank you so much for um, writing this article this week for sharing some of this music. And the title of that article is.
1: Do it yourself. Do it together. Why Not Records, R6103, Post-Triefing, and Reykjavik's new DIY movement.
0: So you can check that out at kexp.org. Dusty Henry, thanks so much for chatting today. Thanks, Emily. So that was my conversation with Dusty Henry, recorded last summer. You can follow his daily briefings from last week's KEXP live broadcast in Iceland at kexp.org. Meanwhile, I want to share a panel discussion I did with three people from Iceland. This was recorded at KEXP last month, just before our Icelandic band showcase at KEXP called Reykjavik Calling. And this week's Sound and Vision panel is here to talk about how Iceland supports their musicians and how music and tourism helps fuel Iceland's economy. So welcome to the panel today. To start off, can you all go around and introduce yourselves and what it is you do?
2: Well, my name is uh, Hlynur Gudjonsson. Uh, I work for the Icelandic Consulate in New York uh, as a Consul General and Trade Commissioner. And my office is focused on, on trade, export from, from Iceland to the US and Canada, and uh, investments.
3: Yeah, I'm Solveig Mathildur and I'm a musician in the band Kellan Mikla. And you
2: are performing
0: tonight? I'm performing tonight, yes. Exciting.
4: Yes, and my name is Sigthrygur Baldursson and I run the Iceland Music Office.
0: And you were also in a band that featured Bjork yes, called Sugar Cubes. Yes,
4: our checkered Pests.
0: Yeah, very amazing. Um, so first, let's start off with um, Liener and, and Siggy. I'll call you Siggy. Okay. Um, how much do you think music and tourism plays into Iceland's economy as as a whole?
4: Um, there are festivals in Iceland that are drawing a lot of international attention. And of course, um, the Icelandic musicians through the years have garnered a lot of international interest and, and sort of piqued people's interest in the country along with a lot of other things, really.
0: Mm-hmm. leader, what would you say? Like, if we were to, let's say, just focus on tourism, how much do you think that plays into Iceland's economy?
2: I think, I think on the tourism side, I actually think it, 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 it plays a, a, uh, a vital role because it's a part of the Icelandic culture, with bands like the Sugar Cubes and then Björk and Siguros and and et cetera uh, and with the enormous amount of talent that is now coming into the market this piques people's interest in Iceland what Iceland is all about and uh, what I found is that when you talk to people they have a favorite band and, and they want to know where the inspiration is, is coming from they want to know why Sigur Ros is playing and 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 writing lyrics the way they do uh, so that kind of, there is a, a, a correlation between the two, I think.
0: And, and I've read that Iceland has the highest ratio of musicians to inhabitants anywhere in the world. Why do you think that is? And I'll open that up to either, you know, Siggy or, mm. or Solvig. I don't know.
4: People just seem to like to make music and art. I mean, there's a lot of writers in Iceland as well. Mm. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot of people making art in general, and I think music is just one of it.
0: Definitely. And, Solveig, how would you describe, like, Iceland's music scene right now? Like, you're a part of it. You're in an Icelandic band. How would you describe just the sounds, the type of genres coming out of Iceland, and just maybe maybe the sense of community that, that mm. may or may not be in place in terms of just the music? You know, those that are playing music, do you feel like there's a sense of community there and in what genres are people playing?
3: I mean, in Iceland right now, there is, like, a lot of hip-hop that's um, really popular with Icelandic kids um, and also some pop music. But I think, like, in the underground music scene, there's a lot of rock and punk that's always been going on. But still, there's some there's some indie vibes coming back from 2008. Um, but, yeah, I think it's mostly that thing. And there's a lot of bands that, like, work together and, like, we share... Uh, spaces together so like we have Kælamikla has a studio with black metal bands and indie bands so maybe we collaborate more than usual in normally in other countries
0: yeah yeah do you feel like there's like a lot of collectives or people you know like kind of fusing resources and working together
3: yeah definitely there's like um a lot of DIY festivals and there's a really cool venue downtown Reykjavik um called R6013 and there is this guy called Ayr, and he runs it in his family's basement so like he has a daughter that's three years or no she's five years old and he she, they have a, a grandmother and his brothers and his mom you know it's everybody in this house and then they have this basement and, and they have concerts and yeah it's, it's really family like I think like this house really represents what the Icelandic music scene is all about
0: yeah, that's amazing, um, Siggy, Can you talk about just how Iceland financially supports musicians?
4: Yeah, I mean, in the last I would say ten to twelve years, we've seen a lot more support from the government side towards the music community in the form of, of grants.
0: Yeah, I mean, I read, I read, I looked at some numbers. Um, so Iceland's just the population is about 330,000 people. In the U.S., it's about 330 million people. Right. Um, and I understand the gov- federal government in Iceland, I think, recently spent about, I think it was $9 million um, going towards musicians' music projects. And then when you look at the U.S., if you look at the National Endowment for the Arts, would be our equivalent for federal grants. Right. Um, the National Endowment for the Arts recently only gave about like $8 million. Okay. Towards music projects, so your population is much less than the u s but you're giving the same amount of money as N- the u s is
4: yes, it's a different it's a different society really as well. We're part of a Nordic sort of welfare society i'd say um that that does these things a little bit differently. but having said that, a lot of the money that the Icelandic government is putting towards music is going towards the symphony orchestra and going towards the the big concert hall in Iceland, then, is quite sort of busy in the, in the classical world, but uh, they have been stepping up the funding as well into other spheres of music and, and sort of creating uh, travel grants and such. That's easier for all sorts of all types of music to access.
0: Yeah, because I, I think about um, Canada's model where Canada gives a lot of money to. Uh, new musicians to record or to tour, um, and there's a lot of funding. There is—is is that not quite how how Iceland's kind of programs work?
4: Not quite. <laughs> we don't have the kind of money that the Canadians have. Uh, we are, having said that, we are a very small society, and so we—I mean—we don't have the same numbers that we see in Canada or in Norway, for that matter. Mm. How the Norwegians are—they are. They are Putting more money into sort of also business development within the musical sphere. So there are f- f- more smaller companies coming up out of Norway that are working internationally with Norwegian music.
0: So Solveig, you, you know you're you're in the band. Um, is it Kaelin Mikla? Yes. And um, do you have you benefited financially from any like government program or or financial you know? Yeah, help?
3: I mean, I mean we've toured a lot in in Europe and we recently had our first US tour and we've always uh, applied for uton funds and like we um, apply for like these traveling grants so and they mostly cover like flight tickets away from the island because we don't we can't you know just drive to the next venue and stuff <laughs> so I, I really appreciate uh, that from iceland yeah, yeah. I'm,
4: I'm, sorry to barge in. Mm-hmm. I, I also must be said that i mean events like this are very Beneficial for what we're trying to do, where we can actually work together with Iceland naturally that are doing these pop up events and uh, sort of use them as showcases for Icelandic bands in the states, and that's proved very a very good idea,
0: yeah. I mean, we're having this event, Reykjavik Calling, tonight at KEXP. And by the way, if you're just joining us now, I'm speaking with Solveig, who's uh, part of the band Uh, Kaelin Mikla. They'll be performing tonight. We have Lena in the room, he's the Icelandic Trade Commissioner, and also uh, Siggy, who is with the um, Iceland Music Export Office. So, um, Siggy, can you talk about the Record in Iceland program? I mean, you're you're giving basically foreign musicians a a 25% off discount if they perform or if they record their album. In Iceland, mm-hmm. um, how would you say Iceland is benefiting from this model?
4: <laughs> well, first and foremost, I wish I were doing this personally, but I'm not. Um, there is uh, a government agency uh, called an agency. It's basically um, a ministry called the Ministry of Business and Innovation. And they have had in in, progr- in operation now for like 15 years or more, a program called Film in Iceland. And a few years ago, this was extended towards the, the uh, studios, the music studios as well. But we are just starting now to promote this internationally.
0: Oh, so it's like, I mean, I feel like we've all heard this before, where if, especially in the U.S., a lot of states will give tax incentives for right. for film companies to come and film in their state.
4: But it's for for musicians. And you can actually put together a, a trip to Iceland to record there, and you will get a 25% rebate off the whole Bill, and that's including flights and hotels and the whole jim- Jimmy jig.
0: Are there any like big name bands that have that have utilized this program, or bands that were able to break out after they had the ability to pre- to record in Iceland? We
4: just started this actually. Oh, so
0: it's new. How long has it been around? Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, we we started promoting this uh, last spring, sort of slowly, first into the sort of film scoring end, and we've had some film scores this summer being done in Iceland. And now, a few weeks ago, we started promoting this into the sort of music industry magazines like Billboard and, and others. So it's recently just hitting the fan and now we're seeing lots of bookings coming into Icelandic studios and stuff. So it is it is starting to work, yes.
2: Yeah. I mean, the uh, the Iceland Music Office, Sigi and his team, has been instrumental in bringing this out about. What the Film in Iceland program has done for the film industry in Iceland is that we have a film industry now. And the the quality of the work that is done locally in Iceland has skyrocketed. I mean, yeah, it, yeah. it's seeing it raised
4: the floor. Yeah,
2: so I, see, I mean, those people who are working in that industry now have have been working on blockbusters now for nearly twenty years.
0: What was Game of Thrones filmed there? The Game
2: of Thrones, it, it's Stardust, it's Oblivion, uh, you name it. I mean, it's um, Star Wars. Um, Oh wow! Yeah, Uh, so major uh, productions, and which has then really uh, been beneficial for the local industry.
0: Well, I feel like Iceland would be such a great place to film because in so many places there's areas that looks like you're on Mars, other areas that are just lush with waterfalls, and there's a lot of options.
2: And now you can be on Mars in a in a recording studio.
3: Yeah, that's right. Actually, people they um, rehearsed Walking on the Moon in Iceland. Yeah. Did you know that?
0: Oh, really? Yes. Yes.
4: Oh. Astronauts would, yes. would practice there.
0: Oh, like put on some suits and then just walk yeah. around yeah, yeah. the land?
4: these lava fields <laughs> there that are apparently very similar to
0: wow. moonscapes. That's fascinating. So I want to talk about Iceland Airwaves because KEXP will be live broadcasting from there uh, in early November. And I, I'm curious, you know, for, for Siggy and Solveig, how much do you think, you know, the Iceland Airwaves Festival really represents Iceland's music as a whole? Like, you know, for example, like Solveig, you're a part of the the scene there. If you were to go to Iceland Airwaves, you're like, oh, yeah, this represents what we're all about. Or do you feel like there are things that might be missing?
3: I mean, I remember when I was 14 and I was going to off-venue Airwaves and I was like, I can be in a band. And it's really like, it's really, I think it's really helpful for young Icelandic kids to understand, like, the downtown Reykjavík and the music scene in general. And I think it's... Yeah, I I mean, I think it's good for everybody. I think it's good for um, people that are interested in the music scene. I think it's good for bands in Iceland knowing other bands in Iceland. And yeah, vice versa. I think it's a really nice opportunity for everybody.
4: Yeah, it actually does mirror the indie and pop and electronic scene quite well. But of course, I mean, there are other types of Icelandic music that aren't Featured at yeah. Iceland Airwaves, it's sort of, it's an indie festival. Yeah,
0: yeah. okay.
4: Um, but it, as such, it works really well as sort of the the, the best showcase festival for Icelandic music because it, it is, is actively bringing in industry from international industry to see Icelandic music in its, what shall we say, natural habitat. Yeah. So um, it's been very beneficial in that in that way and it's really done uh, done a good job at that.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's like, we have hardcore and punk and indie and pop and rap and electronic. I think yeah. we have mostly everything. Not
4: much jazz or contemporary music.
3: Yeah, but there's a, such a huge um, jazz movement ev- and, uh, like in other places oh, yeah. in Iceland. But yeah, that's true though. I haven't thought about it. Yeah. I mean,
2: I, I think Airwaves um, as a festival aside from the, it giving the bands an opportunity to play there, the, the local, the, the unknown and up-and-coming bands in Iceland, uh, it has brought in an enormous amount of media, for example, mm. uh, that has caught the bands. They have seen bands they have never heard or seen before, and they have brought them to the attention of of, of their market. I mean, KHP is a, is a great example of that, for example, breaking uh, of Monsters and Men into this market. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's kind of a Cinderella story. Yeah, where uh, I mean, they were hardly off the ground. They their first CD wasn't out when when Kevin and and, and the team here um, recorded did, them. recorded them uh, the first video, and it, it went viral within weeks. I think it was up to like five six hundred thousand views.
0: Yeah, and it was just a recording of like them and like a. a it, it was like a house almost. Yeah, like yeah,
2: yeah. a yeah. living room. It was, it was a living room. It yeah. was in one of their apartments, I think. Yeah, just sitting in a circle, and yeah. the camera would go around. So that's what it can do for, for uh, a festival like that.
0: But also, when you think about you know ice, going back to Iceland and tourism, um, I understand that you know having the festival in early November where. The days are getting much longer in Iceland. It's getting much colder, windier.
4: They're getting shorter, actually.
0: They're getting, oh, did I say shorter? They're getting shorter. <laughs> the nights are getting longer. The nights are getting longer. Yeah. The days are getting short, wait. Shorter. Shorter, yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. And, and rather than you know, going to Iceland where you have you know, almost a full day of sunlight, you're bringing tourists there to see this festival at a time that might be a shoulder season. Um, it, was that intentional for Iceland Airwaves to do it?
2: Originally, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that was the idea. Uh, it was actually uh, Icelandair who, along with some people in Iceland, who, yeah. who got this up and running in '99. Yeah. was the first. An Icelandic
4: promoter called uh, Mr. Destiny. And Icelandair partnered with uh, goose I think, right. and uh, to do this. They started it like that. So yeah. let's do a little festival here, which sort of will bring some tourists to Iceland on and off at the end of the season.
0: I'm just curious, you for- know... Understanding Iceland's landscape, you know, it's brutal. Like, I, I understand tourists that go there. The biggest issue they have with rental cars is you open your door and the wind hits it so hard your door <laughs> falls off. And that's, like, a very common thing. Um, you know, y- you have, you know, really intense um, just environments like weather. Um, do you think that helps fuel um, creativity to be able to kind of hunker down in the winter months and, and and get creative in those months? I mean, is there something about just Iceland's either landscape weather conditions that you think are helpful for musicians?
3: I think it's really like, it's like living a bipolar, um, it's like a super bipolar weather and everything. So like, in the wintertime, musicians they go undercover and they're like... Phew. They go maybe deep down, even into depression and stuff. <laughs> and um, they feel all sorts of things and they start to create and they start to think about things and they can't, you know, give anything out because they're like in the dark. But then the summer comes, the eternal summer, and then everything comes out and blossoms. So it's really like you go down and then you go up. So I, I, it's hard to explain what I'm trying to say. But <laughs> it gives you
0: dynamics. Yeah, it's, no, it's dynamic. It's, it's not intensity. just like
3: straightforward all the time. It's always yeah. up and down, like the landscape, of course, as well. So,
0: yeah, I yeah. think it helps.
4: I have a little theory about creativity in Iceland. Ooh, tell us. <laughs> it's It's got to do with sort of this country, as Solveig said, being kind of a little bit bipolar because of the weather it's ex- kind of extreme and the light and darkness. And also we basically are g- grown from a society of, of farmers and fishermen. So we are used to doing things and tartnit, which means what do you call that in, in English? And when you sort of have to go out and do something in a stretch, mm-hmm. like if the fish are running, you've got to go out and get them, or if the if if there's a, some dry weather, you have to get the hay inside. So you might have to work for like a couple of days at, at a stretch, and then you can rest. So um, that means that people get used to sort of breaking the rules a little bit, and sort of adapting the rules to what they want, need to do. Yeah which is very good if you're in the creative industries yes. but not very good if you're a banker for instance
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: so that's my theory I also think it's um like in Iceland we don't have like huge record labels or something like this that like I don't think that I never wanted to start a band because I wanted to like make it or something I wanted to start to a band because I wanted to make music and I think a lot of musicians they make music they're not like aiming for the stars but maybe that happens eventually so I feel like what is unique with Icelandic music is exactly that we are not aiming to, like, to, to fit some genre that's super in right now. We just make our kind of music. Mm.
4: It's kind of close to the muse in that sense, that people aren't really trying to fit into a, a genre or a box. They're just, mm. The creativity is quite rampant.
0: Mm. And, and Siggy, for someone that's been in a—I mean, Sugar Cube started in the 80s, right, yeah. with, with Bjork, and you were a drummer in this band. Right. I mean, do you feel like, that's all, like that has always been the case for Iceland music, or do you feel like the scene has changed in, in decades past? Well,
4: yes. I mean, there's a lot more happening today than there was back in those days when I was starting to play. But then again, in the early 80s, there was a big boom in Iceland. Everybody was in a band. It was called the Post-Punk Revolution. Mm. And it's very well documented in a film by Friedrich Friedrichsson called uh, Rocky Reykjavik, mm-hmm. Rock in Reykjavik, that era, which is early 80s. But then again, it sort of filtered into little organizations like our, our organization called Bad Taste that we formed, which was like an umbrella organization for all sorts of arts that needed to, you know, make a pop band to make money for it. So we created the sugar cubes. But it was all tongue-in-cheek, really. And it was kind of a, uh, a surprise that that actually took off internationally. But it was kind of a funny surprise, and we were trying to laugh at it for, for, for what, four or six years?
0: It was a joke, it, and then it uh, became originally something. Originally, it was kind of a joke, <laughs> yes. Okay. We
4: were just having fun with uh, trying to make pop music, which we, we, for us was quite a joke, sort mm-hmm. of coming out of a punk and avant-garde environment.
0: Yeah.
2: I mean, I, I think I Shiggy is right. I mean, I think the, the punk, era in Iceland really transformed the music, uh, like community. environment and the community. Yeah. because I mean everyone. I mean, I even went out and I bought a guitar and dragged it into someone's <laughs> garage and started banging it <laughs> without having a clue what I was doing. And and everyone was doing that. And then I think what what happened maybe later uh, and what I've seen actually is that the, those many of those musicians they they are much more and better educated than they used to be in the, in the 80s yeah, yeah. in regards to music. And that's when you start seeing, kind of, for example, this, this crossover between pop music and classical music uh, with, with, with various different bands in Iceland that have mm-hmm. been like Johan Johans and Valkir and Mum, and, and uh, and quartet. And yeah. Yes,
4: Seuros to a certain extent. I yeah. mean, they had a string quartet as part of the band for a long time.
0: Is there a lot of opportunity to learn kind of the, those classical, you know, roots and, and foundations? Like, is, yes. there big, is music big in schools? Yes, and? music
4: education is very accessible, put it that way. Yeah, okay. And, and there's a, um, yes, the, the music education community in Iceland prides itself as having a, a say in this sort of international success that we've seen with Icelandic music in the last 20 years or so.
0: Yeah. So before we wrap up, I will ask everyone who's who's an Icelandic artist now that we should know about. But before we get there, I just have one last question about tourism um, for Liener. Um, You're with the uh, Icelandic Trade Commission. So um, there's been a lot of news lately about, um, I mean, we we talked about Iceland Air. I know, you know, traveling on Delta. Delta will, you know, you can do a a free layover in Iceland if you're going somewhere else. There's a lot of incentives um, from airlines to get people to, to go to Iceland. But I understand Wow Air, which is kind of like a a discount airline, when that went bankrupt in in March, it's since, I think, started to back up. But um, I read a lot that that really took a hit to Iceland's tourism and even just economy in general. Is that correct, seeing those headlines? You know, did it take a big hit on Iceland?
2: Um, Yeah, I mean, it it was a a significant airline, and we we were facing a a steep drop. Um, But if if you look at the numbers – the number of tourists to Iceland has tripled in the past five years. Um, and the industry has been very focused on on bringing the tourism from the high season over to the, the shoulders and into the winter, which they have been very successful in doing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I read that in 2010, I think there was less than half a million tourists in Iceland. And I think um, in recent years, it's been more like 2 million people. So from it, a half a million yeah, to 2 million, that's massive. It, it
2: was 2 point, 2.3 million uh, in 2018. Uh, we are f- probably facing about a 13% drop in 2019. But if you think about it, uh, and I, that's not only because of, of wow, we're also uh, looking at a, a, a problems because of the grounding of the Boeing 737 oh, MAX. Yeah. Um, but... What we're looking at is is potentially a thirteen percent drop, but that, if you think about it in in some context, that's actually our third be- best year ever.
0: Oh yeah, I mean despite <laughs> so, drops, it's yeah. still successful. So, I mean, yeah. and,
2: and it, it will, uh, and it also I think has giving the airlines like Iceland Air, a a little bit of elbow room, uh, yeah. to grow and 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 do. Do other things um, that they had, they, they can now plan for because of this. So Iceland is, is even though uh, WOW went down, it it's it's, it's doing well, and and carriers like like Iceland uh, are picking up some of the slack. Um, by the way, they, it's their 10th year anniversary here in in in, uh, in the uh, Seattle hub. Uh, they started in 2009, okay. which uh, which um, has been. A, Pretty interesting uh, for for Iceland because it's it's uh, and for Iceland Airway, for example, because Seattle after after the first year, Seattle became the number one market <laughs> for Iceland airwaves, okay. uh from the U.S. Which well, is, you're uh, welcome. Yeah, <laughs> it is pretty amazing, and and they are actually celebrating this by a they're doing sweepstakes in mm-hmm. Seattle like like an online scavenger hunt mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. announcing the the major prize here at kxP at the uh, break a uh, calling tonight. Ooh, and it's so a, people, should it's, it's people should show up. People should show up. It's a well they should check it out. Uh check check out the uh what they're doing because it's I think you have the price on Saturday is a ten day trip to Iceland with Ooh. a uh, uh, a road ring a ring road. Ring road uh, Which is like your which is like your <laughs> your
0: main like t- that's a big tourist attraction. That's yeah, like yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like the road yeah. trip to go on. So Iceland.
2: this is a, this is I I mean I haven't even done that in 30 years. Ah. <laughs> so I'm going to win that if I can, but I can't. <laughs> so that's a Reykjavik
0: calling tonight at KXP. Doors are at seven. The show starts at eight. Um, Solvegus Vega's here, is going to be performing with her band. Um, but one, one question before again, we get back to the music. So, I mean, a, a jump from a half a million visitors to more than two million within like eight years. What do you think caused that massive increase from uh,
2: 2010 to
0: 2018?
2: there's various, various reasons for that. Um, I think actually the, the interest was there, but the kind of availability, I mean, Icelandair, for example, they were only servicing very few hubs in the U.S. And some of them were seasonally, like New York for a while in, in 2001, 2003 was a seasonal airport. Okay. Uh, but now in the summer, they are flying um, two, three flights a day. To New New York and, and Newark, uh, so just increased uh, seat availability and, and the risk that specifically Iceland Air took uh, on on the U.S. market, going from f- three four markets up to at the most I think sixteen, uh, which and that just people all of a sudden like if you lived in Seattle you were able to travel on a direct flight and the devaluation of the krona in, in two thousand and eight nine yeah. be- Iceland became a a value destination for people so they could actually afford uh, going uh, and then the the economic you er, know the the volcanic eruption 2010. in 2010 afjallajökull uh, really I'm glad you
0: said the name of volcano because <laughs> broadcasters in the U.S. really didn't want to say it at that time.
2: <laughs> it really brought the, uh, the spotlight on Iceland and, and people kind of saw those beautiful imagery, imagery coming out of Iceland. So that had, had a big um, effect as well. And also, I think just the, the the effort of both the industry in Iceland, the effort of, of the, the, the major airline, uh, Iceland air uh, at the time, Iceland music, all those people who have been promoting Iceland abroad and really um, promote Iceland is basically a a promotional office yeah that that actually put into
4: operation a very functional online promotion right. in and in around that time that the eruption was in two thousand and ten and this is sort of early days of well relatively early days of Facebook and such, and I think they they basically tapped into something that really worked for sort of the online promotions that were doing they were doing at the time hmm. um, well there's a lot of lot of things and and of course, word spreads that you know if if a destination becomes a hip destination to go and check out, you know people will spread the word that's yeah. just how it works
0: i 'm sure the like instagram fad and and all those Instagram ability of photos is also yes. really important Iceland
4: is a hugely instagram friendly place and <laughs> yeah. I think that's it's, it's helped itself quite well to, in, that, in that sense.
0: Yeah. So, so to wrap it up with music, um, my panel today, we've been talking about Iceland's economy, music industry, uh, much, much more. But to wrap it up, what is like one Icelandic band that you feel like we should know about?
3: I think you should know about my band, Kala Mikla, that's playing
0: tonight. <laughs> as part of Reykjavik Calling here at yeah. KEXP. Yeah. Yes.
4: yes, and the wonderful drone rock band that's playing with them, called Solstavis. Mm-hmm. I think people should hear about that as well.
2: Well, we were, we were discussing uh, the jazz scene in Iceland, and KEXP launched a few weeks ago ADHD. Right. Which is a, an Icelandic band, and that that band. video, both the, the documentary that KHP did about the recording, but also the the recording itself is, is absolutely, uh, it's a screaming masterpiece. Yes, to quote, screaming masterpiece. To, to quote that that documentary. Yes.
0: Well, my panel today has been Solveig of the band Kaelin Mikla. They'll be performing tonight as part of uh, Reykjavik Calling. Again, doors are at 7. The show starts at 8 here at KEXP's Gathering Space. We have Liener, who's with the Icelandic Trade Commission. Uh, He's the Trade Commissioner for North America. And Siggy, who is the Director of the Iceland Music Export Office, also uh, drummer of the Icelandic band Sugar Cubes. Thank you all for joining us today, Um, and uh, I hope we all have a blast at Reykjavik Calling tonight.
4: We promise. Thank you.
0: Thank you. So that was Sound and Vision for this week. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. We would also love to see you give a one-time $20 donation at kexp.org slash sound. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll chat more next week.